Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Dr. Tony Dale, who is the founder and chairman of Sidera. And that is a company that is disrupting the health insurance industry so successfully that it has recently been ranked 14th on the Inc. 5000 fastest growing private companies in Texas, and has also been recognized last year for being in the top 4% of Inc.'s national list of fastest growing private companies. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dale. Well, thank you so much for that kind welcome. It's a privilege to be here today. Well, it is not often that I have podcast guests who originally practiced family medicine in London and then entrepreneurship in Austin, Texas. And somehow you figured out how to succeed in both areas. And of course, I'm wondering, how have you succeeded in so many different ways? What are one or two best practices you've learned along the way that you can share with our listeners? Well, that's a most interesting question. And uh, you'd have to ask my patients if I succeeded as a family doctor in London. (laughs) I certainly loved them and I hope the feeling was mutual. Uh, But I actually moved over to the United States, uh, having spent about a decade in family practice, you know, having finished all my qualifications. And I moved over in 1987, mainly working with a large Christian professional organization that I'd helped found and that have been working with doctors all over the United Kingdom and then into Europe and other places to really help them engage with the whole person and not just to narrowly sort of focus on, let's call it symptoms and signs of disease. That was fascinating work. I thought I would be expanding the work here, but uh, actually things took a completely different course. I fell into the business side by accident. Mm. So maybe the first thing I'd say to your CEOs is be careful what you allow to happen to you. It might change your life. Well, I know one of the CEOs whose lives you have changed. In fact, he was a previous podcast guest. Art Getz, the CEO of Scoop Health, said that you wonderfully impacted his business choice. So I don't know. You ended up here, you said by accident, but yet you're an Inc. 5000 fastest growing company. So tell us a little bit about, are you just good at selecting partners and and leading people? What do you attribute to your success? If I'm allowed to be honest uh, in answering that question, Birgit, I honestly attribute my success to God's goodness and uh, at times my stupidity falling into uh, things sort of head over heels. I'm I'm the sort of person who commits everything I'm doing Mm -hmm. uh, in in the sense of I I don't do things by halves. If I'm into something, I'm into it 100%. You know, so when I say I fell into this business by accident, it it was literally an accident. I uh, injured my knee playing basketball with my uh, then teenage children. Mm -hmm. And I went to see an orthopedic surgeon. I knew what had happened. I'd torn my medial meniscus uh, and he confirmed that. And, you know, we had the MRI and stuff, which also can confirmed it. Uh, And so he arranged surgery. And I asked him, well, what's this going to cost me? And uh, he may have misunderstood my question, but because I was relatively new from Britain and not over here practicing clinical medicine, I didn't know how the system worked. So I asked him, what's it going to cost me? And he tells me $2,000. And I believe him. Uh, What I didn't understand was he was only talking about his bill. And so when the bills began rolling in and it ended up around 15,000, obviously massively more than I'd anticipated, I I began to dig into what was going on. And what I found was just a whole system of smoke and mirrors where really nobody knew. And to be honest, nobody even really cared. You know, most doctors didn't know what their offices were billing. The hospital had no transparency over 
for what any of its charges were about. I remember calling up the, you know, both the lab and MRI and, and saying this seemed rather expensive. And the rough response, say, I'm not remembering exactly here, uh, but it was roughly, well, what do you think would be a fair price? Knowing as little as I knew then, I said, why don't we go 50-50? Knowing what I know now, I'd suggest that maybe we paid 20% of what they were planning to charge. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are the areas that CEOs need to understand that you cannot match price with quality in terms of medical care over here. In fact, on the contrary, we and many other physicians have clearly identified that generally speaking, the lower cost, probably the better the service and the better the quality. And especially now, since I think it was last year, right, that a new tax law got passed in the U.S. and it's called ICRA that benefits employers and employees because they can provide better quality care at more affordable pricing. And I think that's how you're disrupting that industry, right? Well, we certainly use the ICRA. Uh, that stands for an individual choice health reimbursement arrangement. And it's a way for companies to say, absolutely, I care about my employees. I want to engage in the cost but I want to let my employees choose what's best for them. Uh, and within that framework, some employees are going to need a medical program, you know, a medical insurance program. Some uh, are going to do much better on our medical cost-sharing approach. And some may decide that actually all they're looking for is a real access to uh, primary care, which may be able to take care of 80, 85% of their medical needs just within the family doctor context. Hmm. Okay. Well, in a sad kind of way, I can see you have succeeded because of the pain you experienced as a patient, and now you're contributing to others in a positive way. And how did you learn to lead others effectively? Because I did check Glassdoor, which most CEOs do not like because employees get to rate their employer. And you have one of the top ratings and you have doubled in size during the pandemic. Are you just good at selecting people or? You know, that's a, a very interesting question. I'm not at all persuaded I'm necessarily good. What I have done is surrounded myself with a great team of people. So, you know, our CEO. CEO Jamie Lagarde is much loved by all of the staff, but not just him. Generally speaking, one of the key principles I've taught the leaders is leaders should lead. That means they shouldn't be doing all the work. They should be leading in how it's done. But that also implies that they learn as quickly as possible how to encourage delegation and to draw out from the people that they're working with their core skills and competencies. So, you know, when I handed over the leadership to Jamie Lagarde, that doesn't mean that uh, I was still planning to do the leading. No, it means that he's ready and that he's taking over that leadership role. So trusting people to do a job and then working with them on areas of challenge to make sure that they're having every opportunity to grow to their full potential. And when you chose Jamie, did you use any kind of system to figure out he is the one? How did you discover you know, how to hire well. I listened very carefully to advisors that I trust. Uh, so I've been uh, introduced and had worked for a number of years in my previous company. You know, before Sidira, I uh, started a company to deal with this area of medical cost containment. Mm -hmm. And one of our board members there was a gentleman called John Oberg. I'd come to really value and respect his advice. Uh, so as we were beginning,
getting the idea for Sidera and the medical cost sharing that was really growing out of the Harris Group, as it was then called, the parent company. We were looking for someone to come alongside me right from the start who had the potential to become the CEO. Hmm. So Jamie was literally my first hire, hmm. uh, but we hired him away from his own company that he had started. What he told his wife uh, after having met me was he said, you know, I hope you're okay with this, but I think I'd like to join Tony Dale in what he's doing. I think it's a much bigger idea and more impactful than what I've been doing. So I knew right from the start that he had a passion for what it was we were talking about. And he was able to therefore embrace that vision. And in a process of learning over our first three, three and a half years, he was my right-hand man. You know, during that time uh, when we started, uh, actually, we also hired another employee, someone with a, a strong insurance background to uh, help us navigate some of the complexities of our world before we actually opened up to help the public and to help companies around the country. Uh, and out of that, we'd probably grown to about 40. I honestly felt that he was able to do a better job than I would do. Uh, and that's what I'm always looking for in leadership. If I'm hiring someone and, you know, my weakness is administration and now they're doing it better than I am, then let them take the responsibility. The same applied in the broader sense to what was going on in my need for a CEO to replace me. Well, you know, the show's about blind spots. So next I'm going to ask what was one of your struggles as a leader. But I will say that I think you have a positive blind spot in the sense that just who you are as a human being, I think attracts other leaders because Art, the CEO of Scoop Health, went on and on about how he immediately connected to your passion and like you, wants a lot of CEOs to know about this option. But then tell us, did you ever struggle in leading people? Well, I think we all struggle if we're honest. I mean, maybe there are some people who are so brash and self-confidence that they wouldn't want to admit that. Uh, but the truth is all of us have blind spots. All of us have weak points. And one of the things I've learned and take very seriously and, and teach regularly to our leadership team uh, is that the people who criticize us uh, are actually, in a sense, our closest friends friends because they're telling us what most people wouldn't be willing to tell us. Mm. Uh, and if we're if we learn to listen, you know, not to be defensive, but to welcome and embrace uh, sort of criticism or challenge or, you know, couldn't it be done better this way? Uh, that doesn't mean we automatically agree with other people, but it does mean we're listening. We're, we're listening not just with our ears, but can I say with our guts? And we're prepared to acknowledge there might be better ways. And in that sense, you're always ready to keep growing. I think you're sharing a great key point as I think most human beings don't want to receive criticism, but I appreciate how you said it's like having a friend because how else do you discover your blind spots and grow? And again, your track record shows it. So I happen to know your wife, Felicity, is also a doctor. So how did you manage to have a good relationship there? I mean, you're still married and you've got several kids and you guys did not have an easy journey coming into the United States. So how do you manage that partnership? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure I'd say I manage that partnership. <laughs> the, any man who thinks he's managing his wife is in for a rough ride, uh, especially as I acknowledge in the foreword of the book, it was perfectly clear from both of our first year of medical school that she was the brighter of the two of us. So, you know, we, we've been very blessed. And, you know, you asked me a, a question, I'm going to answer it honestly. I really think a very significant part, maybe the most significant, is that both of us take our Christian faith seriously 
seriously. We really believe that God brings people together. And we're now living that, meaning that uh, here we are, we're just about to celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. We have four kids, have 11 grandchildren, and we feel incredibly blessed. And I love a comment I heard someone say once, and I've certainly tried to live it. You'd have to check with Felicity whether I've been able to. But I remember them saying, you know, if you treat your wife like a princess, you'll discover that you're married to one. Oh, uh, and I like that. Beautiful. Well, as we start to wrap up the show, you know, a lot of leaders have struggled during the last crisis, and I'm sure there will be more crisis to come. You've been through several crises in life. Any last minute tips you want to share with leaders regarding how to make it through crisis? Uh, yes, I, I'd be happy to share a couple of thoughts. Let's take the sort of most basic one coming from my background and with what we do in Sidera. It is absolutely possible nowadays to give your employees better access to healthcare where they're going to get higher quality and lower cost. And I'd certainly encourage on the medical side, please go to Sedera, that's S-E-D-E-R-A.com and explore what we're doing. Uh, but that's not necessarily the answer to a crisis. It may be an answer to deal with, you know, this problem of uh, medical costs. But in dealing with a crisis, I, I think if we're prepared to acknowledge that we need others' helps and comments and criticisms, then actually we can go a step further and actually recognize that life is crafted in such a way that if we'll open ourselves up in a meaningful way to understand a God who cares about us, then we have a place to go. You know, one of my my favorite verses in the Bible is that God is a very present help in time of trouble. And I could just tell you endless stories, whether it's been personal challenges, marriage challenges, challenges with our kids. When we open ourselves up to a source that's greater than ourselves, then all of a sudden we find our capacity is much greater than we've ever realized. I uh, can appreciate that statement. And the good news is, I guess, in times of crisis, people do look to places like that and do question, is there a better way and who can I rely on? So were you always a man of faith? <laughs> I don't know. I was certainly brought up in a family where faith was viewed as important. But no, I wouldn't say I was always a man of faith. I think you, you learn faith, like so many things in life, really through the trials that you go through. Yeah. Uh, and so in that sense, you know, iron sharpens iron and a diamond is made under pressure. Uh, and I think faith grows as we exercise it. We, we make a choice if we're willing to grow in that area. So thank you again, Dr. Dale, for choosing to be on the CEO Blindspot podcast and sharing your wisdom and your struggles and your successes. And I'm really grateful that Art introduced us. He clearly thinks you're a great leader. And I also happen to know that you are the author of a book called The Cure for Healthcare, an old world doctor's prescription for the new world health system. So thank you again for being on the show. Of course, it's been a real privilege. And People can get hold of The Cure for Healthcare at Amazon or by going to the website, thecureforhealthcarebook.com.